0: is Primal Potential and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. It is me, Elizabeth Benton, and... I'm such a dork. I'm like legitimately pumped that we're going to be talking about vegetables today, which just goes to show that I'm a dork and that's okay. Now, I have to say that I do not think that there is any one particular food item that is an absolute must have for fat loss. I mean, obviously. Vegetables are healthy, and you guys know, especially those of you who follow me on Instagram, that I love cabbage and I love Brussels sprouts, but the reality is, even if you hate both of those, that's fine. You can still reach your fat loss goals. There is no one single food that is the must-have for fat loss, because eating for fat loss is about creating hormonal balance via the foods that you eat, doing things like limiting sugars and limiting toxins, and making sure you get nutrient diversity. So for anybody that implies that there's like one food that has magical fat-burning powers that others don't have, it's just a bit sensational. And people do those sensational things all the time to get readers or to get listeners, but I never want to imply or say outright, because I don't believe it, that there is like one particular food that's just going to make all of your fat loss dreams come true, right? If that were true... We would all know it. It's not true, but a lot of people will make those kinds of claims, especially when they're trying to sell a product or get attention. But it's also fair to say that some foods are obviously healthier than others, and some foods are just more fat loss friendly than others. Some foods have more of a nutritional power-packed punch than others do, and then they make fat loss easier when you emphasize that particular food. And like I said, you know that I am a fan of fiber-rich veggies. That's just what I personally like. Now, it's not what I always liked. I used to love Hostess cupcakes, right? Now, eh, it doesn't really tempt me. Probably couldn't even talk me into eating a Hostess cupcake these days, but my palate has changed. My preferences have changed. And I like most vegetables, but today I want to talk about two different types of vegetables and how they can make fat loss easier. Now, I'm not talking about two vegetables in particular, but two classes of vegetables. The allium family of vegetables and the cruciferous family of vegetables. And I'm going to talk about which vegetables fall into those categories. And then also on the show notes page for this episode, I've put together some of my favorite recipes that use these um, classes of vegetables or vegetables from these two different categories. Now, obviously, we can all benefit from eating more vegetables, even if our goal is not fat loss, right? There's many, many benefits to vegetables in general, and there's many, many vegetables to the allium, many, 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 many vegetables, many, many benefits to the allium family of vegetables, as well as the cruciferous family of vegetables. And I want to address... golden rules of carbs and fat loss for one second before we talk about the specific benefits of these two categories of vegetables because i get a lot of questions about this i talk often about what i call the golden rules of carbs and fat loss and how limiting your carbohydrates to the last meal of the day is a great approach when your goal is fat loss but that begs the question what about vegetables because vegetables are carbohydrates And I make it really clear when I talk about vegetables in general and cutting carbs, people will say, you know, isn't it dangerous to cut carbohydrates? Well, it's definitely not a good idea to eliminate vegetables, but I also think that it's really misleading to suggest that you are cutting carbs out or you're not eating carbohydrates when you're just maybe not eating bread and pasta and rice, but you're still eating a lot of vegetables because vegetables are carbohydrates, right? So where do they fit in to the golden rules of carbs and fat loss? Well, when we talk about limiting your carbohydrates to the end of the day and those golden rules, we're talking about starchy carbohydrates. We're talking about carbohydrates that drive an increase in your blood sugar. We are not talking about non-starchy vegetables. I really encourage you to eat non-starchy vegetables throughout the day, right? The reason that those are okay to eat throughout the day is because they have much less, hardly any really, starch slash sugar. And the reason I say starch slash sugar is because starch is just a long chain of sugar, right? So we have to look at at carbohydrates and evaluate them based on their composition, because all carbohydrates don't have the same impact on blood sugar and insulin, and therefore they don't have the same impact on fat burning or fat storage. So what we want to look at when we look at carbohydrates, there's three things, really. Water, how much water is in them? Fiber, how much, if any, fiber do they contain? And then starch slash sugar. Remember, because starch is just long chains of sugar. This is the measuring stick for all carbohydrates, whether it's pretzels, apples, carrots, bread, brussel sprouts, candy, whatever. Let's just go through this for one quick second, comparing a potato to brussel sprouts. Both are vegetables, but they don't have the same impact on uh, fat burning. They're both carbohydrates. A potato is a carb. Brussel sprouts are a carb. Now, which contains more water, a potato or brussel sprouts? Brussels sprouts. You know, serving per serving, you have more water in Brussels sprouts than you do in a potato. Now, which contains more fiber, the potato or the Brussels sprouts? The Brussels sprouts have more fiber. Now, which contains more starch, the potato or the Brussels sprouts? The potato contains more starch. And that starch is going to break down to sugar, driving an increase in blood sugar, driving an insulin response. So the Brussels sprouts have more water more fiber, and less starch than the potato, and therefore they are more fat loss friendly. So we want to liberally consume those vegetables that have a great deal more water and fiber than they do starch or sugar. The starchier ones we want to eat according to the golden rules of carbs and fat loss when the goal is fat loss. All right, now that we have that out of the way, because I get a lot of questions about that and wanted to make sure that I reviewed that again, let's dive into these two classes of vegetables, the cruciferous vegetables and the allium vegetables, and I want to share with you why they help make fat loss easier. When we think of vegetables, we tend to think of, like, leafy greens as the healthiest of them all. But, you know, from my perspective, I just don't see it that way. We can thank Popeye for the misconceptions about spinach, and spinach is great. There's nothing wrong with spinach or leafy greens in general, but that doesn't mean that they are, like, the king of healthy vegetables. They're just not. These allium vegetables and cruciferous vegetables have something very important in common. They are high in the mineral sulfur. Now, a lot of you guys, when you think of sulfur, you probably think of the fact that sulfur smells. And so when we think about, well, what are these vegetables? We can think about the vegetables that don't smell very good, right? So the stinky veggies, Um, brussels sprouts, cabbage, garlic, onions, leeks, shallots, broccoli, the stuff that smells, right? Sulfur is the primary reason that they have that strong, not so pleasant smell. Now, sulfur is a mineral, and it is one of the single most abundant minerals in the body, top 10, and it is not a coincidence that it is so abundant in the body. It is so abundant because we need it so much. There is an undeniable link between sulfur deficiency and obesity. Now, from a common sense standpoint, we could kind of theorize, well, if there's sulfur in vegetables, and we could probably guess that people who are obese probably maybe don't eat as many vegetables as people who aren't obese, and so people who are obese would have less sulfur. Boom, there we go. But fortunately for me and science geeks across the world, it's far more interesting than that. (laughs) <laughs> I, I love the science of these things. I don't know why, but I just find it absolutely fascinating. So if you don't find it fascinating, then you can walk away now with the eat more of vegetables that smell. But if you do like the science of things, then I am going to indulge you for a few minutes while I geek out on this stuff because I find it fascinating. So pop quiz, what is the hormone that I am always talking about that is so critical for fat loss, the hormone that is the master fat loss hormone, insulin, right? A plus, way to go. No prize. But sulfur, this this mineral that is so abundant in the allium vegetables and the cruciferous vegetables, the stinky vegetables, sulfur is required for the production of insulin. Sulfur helps to bind together the two distinct chains of amino acids that make insulin. So if you do not have enough sulfur, you impair insulin production, right? Your body cannot manufacture insulin if it does not have sulfur. And when you do not adequately or properly or completely manufacture insulin, your body cannot properly handle the food you consume. When you are not able to manufacture insulin efficiently or properly or completely, your blood sugar stays elevated for too long, and that prevents fat burning. We want plenty of insulin produced so that it can act quickly and completely and make sure that the fuel we consume through food is delivered to our cells quickly and efficiently so that we can get back to fat burning mode. This requires sulfur. Not enough sulfur? Then you do not have proper optimal functioning of the hormone insulin, and that will impair fat loss. Now, this is also, sulfur has other impacts on blood sugar aside from insulin, all right? So one of the problems, and we talked about this in the Always Hungry episode several weeks ago, but one of the problems with obesity is that the cells in the body do not use glucose as fuel efficiently, all right? Now, part of this could be related to insulin because if your cells don't respond to insulin, then the sugar can't or the glucose can't get into the cell to be used, but this can be a real issue even if and when insulin is not a problem, okay? If your cells cannot use glucose efficiently, then your cells are basically starving, even if you are eating enough food. So all of this extra fuel that your body can't use gets shuttled off to be stored, And so you're storing all of this energy, but your body is signaling you with hunger and cravings because your cells are undernourished. Your cells cannot take advantage of the fuel you're consuming, so that fuel has to go somewhere. It goes to be stored, and then your body's like, hey, your cells are starving, so you keep eating. Now, sulfur makes a difference here because sulfur protects your cells from the damage that makes them inefficient. Okay, so when your cells are damaged, they cannot utilize glucose, which is what creates this problem. And the things that can damage your cells are glucose itself and even oxygen. Oxygen can potentially damage your cells when the protective mechanisms are not present. When these cells get damaged, they don't use the glucose properly. The cellular machinery is damaged and your cells starve while you get fatter and fatter and eat more and more. So sulfur is one of the protective mechanisms here, and without, you know, I'll geek out only to a certain level on the podcast, and then I'll geek out more on my own time because I get excited about it, so I won't go into the molecular charge of the sulfate ions that make this protective mechanism possible, but basically the, the short version of the story is that sulfur protects the machinery of your cells so that they don't starve while you pile on weight. The other thing that is really powerful here is that sulfur is required to make one of our body's most powerful detoxifiers, known as glutathione, all right? Remember that toxins are stored most readily in our fat. I talked about that in the episode from a couple weeks ago on obesogens. When we have toxins in our fat, it abil- it interferes with our ability to burn fat because it's like the fat is all bound up with toxins and it can't break free to be burned for fuel. When we have adequate sulfur, we're better able to create glutathione, this detoxifier, which helps remove the toxins from our fat so that we can burn fat more efficiently. And there's more to this detoxification story, and I'm going to go into geek mode here because this is one of my favorite, favorite nutrition stories and, and one of my favorite areas to dive into. And let me give you a little bit of a backstory on why this matters so much to me personally. So when I was in college, I did the research my senior year on cruciferous vegetables, right, specifically on isothiocyanates, or a compound within these cruciferous vegetables. More on that in just a second. So that's what I did when I was in college, right? I studied the detoxification capacity of a particular element of these cruciferous vegetables. Well, years and years later, when I was working in the supplement industry... Uh, One of the products we had was a genetic testing product that basically helped you tailor your diet to optimize your genes. So I went through this uh, when I was doing some competitive research and took a bunch of tests of competitor products to see how they compared to ours, all right? So one of the things that a lot of these genetic tests look at is your body's ability to detoxify, to remove toxins, and these two phases of detoxification, they're very appropriately named, phase one and phase two. It's really brilliant. But phase one is about your body's ability to neutralize toxins, to bind them up and to neutralize them. That's phase one. Phase two is about your body's ability to excrete them, to take those bound and neutralized toxins and eliminate them, get rid of the waste. Now, obviously, if you don't neutralize the toxins, you've got problems. And similarly, if you don't excrete the toxins, you've got problems. You have toxic accumulation, and a lot of that accumulation happens in the fat tissue, and that makes fat loss really difficult. Well, wouldn't you know, my genetic tests indicated that I had impaired phase two detoxification. So I had trouble with excreting either through sweat, through uh, bowel movements, through the urine, I I had trouble eliminating these toxins, right? Which, no surprise, I mean, I was overweight, I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, I had all sorts of things that would uh, indicate trouble with toxic excretion, all right? So when I realized this, it made me think back to the research I had done as an undergraduate on these sulfur-containing vegetables, the isothiocyanates, and their unique role in, what do you know, phase two detoxification. That was when I was like, oh my goodness, I need to eat more of these sulfur-containing vegetables. That was when weight loss got easier for me. That was when my PCOS resolved itself and the many, many, many cysts I had in each ovary went away. That was when my menstrual cycles became normal. It was really amazing. It was like seeing science happen in my life, which for a geek like me, was like so exciting because, you know, that's how I roll. So I'm going to give you the high level version here. And there's a lot of big, big words, but I'm going to break it down to the fundamental stuff and what it means for you on a day to day basis. So inside these stinky vegetables are glucosinolates. Okay. Glucosinolates contain nitrogen and sulfur, smelly stuff. Now, this is just the starting point. This is just the potential for what these things can do for our health. It is not, that's not where the story ends. So inside these vegetables is also enzymes, right? And one of the enzymes is called myrosinase, myrosinase. Now, when you chop or chew these vegetables, so when you damage the cell structure, right, which happens if you chop or you chew, that activates this enzyme, myrosinase. Myrosinase goes to work on the glucosinolates, and it creates these compounds that are so wonderful at detoxification. So at the starting point, before the chopping and the chewing, before the myrosinase enzyme gets activated, you just have the potential for health benefits, right? The myrosinase is what unleashes the detox power because it creates isothiocyanates. Isothiocyanates, that's what I did my undergrad research on. These isothiocyanates are what deliver these powerful health benefits. These are what uh, are the important detoxifiers. Now, here's why I tell you all of this. Because when you cook these vegetables, you can prevent myrosinase from doing its job. Because remember, myrosinase is an enzyme. Enzymes are proteins. And the heat, they're, they're living, right? They're living proteins. They, they do something. They take action. They are alive. Enzymes are like real things that do something. And so what when we apply heat, We can denature the enzyme or damage the protein so that it cannot do its job, okay? So this is why when I share like my cabbage breakfast bowl that I talk about all the time at the end of the segment on the show and I'm always like, yep, I had my, you know, my big cabbage bowl and I have it up on the blog and and people are loving it. I do this because it is important to me for detoxification to make sure that some of the veggies I eat, these sulfur-containing veggies, I eat them raw. Now, cabbage is not the only option. Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, all great options. Even if I'm going to cook my vegetables, which I do, I eat a lot of cooked vegetables, I want to make sure that at least I get a little bit of raw because the morosinase activity from the raw vegetables can work on the cooked ones. So I am not saying that there is no benefit to eating cooked vegetables. That's not true. There's all sorts of vitamins and minerals and other great antioxidants, and you can get the detox potential of these vegetables when you have some myrosinase in your system. Maybe it's from an earlier meal when you had some raw vegetables, or maybe it's because you had a spoonful of kimchi, fermented cabbage uh, that's raw, and so that myrosinase can act on the cooked vegetables, even if the myrosinase in the cooked vegetables is deactivated, all right? So I want to make sure everybody understands that. Now, cooking gently is better for the morosinase than, like, say, stir-frying on really high heat is going to damage the morosinase more than very lightly steaming and things like that. So I just want to really encourage you for these cruciferous vegetables to do your best to have some of them raw. Every once in a while when you can. For me, because I have this impaired phase two detoxification, I want to do that on a daily basis. But that's not to say that you need to. Again, any degree of improvement is always a good thing. Now, let's switch gears here and talk about these allium vegetables, which have sulfur, so all of the sulfur benefits that we talked about apply to the allium and the cruciferous vegetables, but there's some special stuff about the allium vegetables as well. Allium vegetables, like garlic, onions, leeks, shallots, are higher in chromium, and chromium has an impact on that most important fat loss hormone we talk about all the time, insulin, Chromium improves your sensitivity to insulin, and it also helps you to metabolize fat. And when we talk about fat metabolism, we're not just talking about the fat you eat. We are talking about the way that it also improves your body metabolizing your body fat, your adipose tissue. So metabolism is not just about the food we eat. Metabolism is breaking down something for energy. So metabolism is the process by which your body breaks down the fat on your hips and your thighs. So chromium helps with fat metabolism, whether that is the fat you eat or it is the fat your body is burning for fuel from your storage, okay? Now, I know when I talk about cruciferous vegetables in particular, I get a lot of emails about digestive challenges, gas, bloating, things like that. And almost without exception, the first thing that I say to people when they say, oh, these, you know, the cabbage, the broccoli, the Brussels sprouts, the cauliflower, they give me gas or they make me bloated very first and most important thing here is to chew them more. I know that sounds obvious, but you'd be surprised. Most people only chew a bite of food five or six times at max before they swallow, and we should really be chewing our food closer to like 20 times before we swallow. Now, I'm not suggesting that you count how many times you chew each bite of food, but what I am suggesting is that you pay more attention to chewing more before you swallow that's number one number two is start with smaller portion sizes people that follow me on Instagram are always like oh my god you eat so many vegetables Yes, I do, but my body has worked up to that. And so just like with most things in life that we can, you know, build a tolerance to, my body is now very tolerant of cruciferous vegetables. I do not suggest that you go from like never eating cruciferous vegetables to a huge bowl of raw cabbage. Like Yeah, your stomach will probably be like, what was that, right? So start smaller and then pay attention. This is why tracking is so important. Pay attention to your body's response. The other thing is that cooking them lightly is going to be more gentle on your system than eating them raw, of course. But if you're going to eat them raw, just really, really focus on chewing and start with your portion sizes smaller and allow your body to adapt. Another common question that comes up uh, related to cruciferous vegetables in particular is what about thyroid issues? Now, if you do not have a known thyroid problem or you're not currently taking thyroid medication for like underactive thyroid, then keep on keeping on. Don't worry. We cannot divert our attention and our energy worrying about every little thing. If you do not have a known thyroid issue right now, then you do not need to worry about cruciferous vegetables impacting your thyroid health in a negative way. With that said, if you have an underactive thyroid, hypothyroid, you're on thyroid medication, then you probably do not want to consume raw cruciferous vegetables on a daily basis. So it doesn't mean you can't ever, but there is, this is only an issue for people who have a known thyroid issue and are iodine deficient. So this isn't even like... Oh, well, I have thyroid function, so I can't eat cruciferous vegetables. This is only an issue if you have an underactive thyroid or no thyroid, and, and, please do not miss the and, and you are iodine deficient, okay? That can be an issue, and you'd want to cook your vegetables and not eat them raw. But again, this is for folks that have a thyroid issue or no thyroid and are iodine deficient. So let's not borrow trouble from tomorrow. I do not want people out there that everything's great and now they're like, oh, well, is it going to create a thyroid issue? No. If you have hypothyroid or no thyroid and you are iodine deficient, then just cook your vegetables. We don't need to make a bigger deal about this than it is. Now, the next question is obviously, okay, so how do I incorporate these things? And on the show notes page for this episode, you just go to primalpotential.com. Right across the top, you'll see a tab that says podcast. If you click that podcast tab, all of the show notes are right there in chronological order with the most recent podcast episode listed first. So I will link to my very, very favorite cabbage breakfast bowl that I have almost every single day. It is my brunch after my workout, my combination of breakfast and lunch. It's raw shredded cabbage with bacon, eggs, avocado, and walnut. Obviously, you can do it without the bacon if you are not a meat eater. Also... The Nom Nom Paleo recipe for raw cabbage slaw with a carrot ginger dressing is out of this world amazing. So I will link to that as well. Uh, I mentioned kimchi, which is raw fermented cabbage. That's another great way. Plus, it's a fantastic source of probiotics. Obviously, you can snack on raw vegetables, right? I'm not a fan of raw um, broccoli, or cauliflower, but a lot of people are. So you can do that or you can add them to your salads. As far as cooked ways to enjoy these, the sky is the limit. I recently posted a couple of incredible cauliflower soup recipes up on the blog. I'll link to those. You can also do stir fries or mashed cauliflower. I love mashed cauliflower. Um, One of the things I used to love when I was a kid was what we called shepherd's pie. I know shepherd's pie means different things to different people, but in my family, it was like a casserole and on the bottom was ground meat cooked and then a layer of corn and then a layer of mashed potatoes. Well, now I still make that, but instead of mashed potatoes, I do mashed cauliflower, right? Right. Sometimes, if I'm just doing mashed cauliflower on its own, I'll add carrots or parsnips, which both add great sweetness and flavor. Um, So there's so many, many different ways to do this. You can also Add, if you puree these vegetables, whether it's broccoli or cauliflower or anything like that, you can put them into meatloaf or meatballs. Obviously, you guys know I'm a huge fan of just sauteed Brussels sprouts, sometimes with bacon or pancetta, sometimes just by themselves. So the sky is the limit here, but I will link to some of my favorite ways to enjoy these over on the show notes at primalpotential.com. Uh, let's wrap up with what I ate yesterday. Um <laughs> random when i woke up i started having uh, i just had like a bunch of handfuls of raw carrots i had them because i had made um the carrot ginger dressing that i was talking about with the raw cabbage and i had leftover carrots and so i was just snacking on those with coffee which is so random but that's kind of the way i roll i'm just random And then later I had some cauliflower soup with curry powder. Again, those recipes for the cauliflower soup are up on the blog. It's so easy. It's just a little bit of bone broth or any kind of stock that you have with cauliflower. And I added some curry powder. It's so easy, so simple, and really, really, really tasty. And then dinner was a little bit different. I was actually out and I had a burger without the bun and some sweet potato fries. So you guys know, I don't do a whole lot of the starchier vegetables, but, They looked good, and they were good, and I really enjoyed them. So, uh, super excited about the Fat Loss Fast Track that is coming up. I uh, mentioned this on the last episode of the podcast where you heard from some of the folks that are in the current Fast Track, and... We're going to be having those webinars over the next couple of weeks, so if you want to get on one of the free webinars all about the Fat Loss Fast Track, you can do so by going to primalpotential.com slash fast track. All one word, no space, and that's two Ts, because fast ends in a T, and track begins with a T. Fat Loss Fast Track. Uh, Just go to primalpotential.com slash fast track, and you can sign up for one of those webinars. We're going to have cash prizes and other prizes for the first time in this 90-day fast track. So there will be cash prizes up to $1,000, and we're going to have some special giveaways as well. So I'm crazy excited. I can't wait to get started. I really hope you will grab one of your spots on the free webinar because the free webinar is an absolute prerequisite for getting into the 90-day fat loss fast track. So webinar free fat loss. Loss Fast Track, not free, but we will have cash and other prizes uh, for folks in the Fat Loss Fast Track, which I've never done before. And I'm super excited about it because I think it's just going to make it that much more fun and engaging um, because you have literally like more to win. So anyway, uh, I will talk to you guys soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back in a couple of days. Talk to you later.